Welcome to the Waste Not Want Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews and news to rebuild our relationship with Mother Earth and revitalise our natural resources by minimising environmental waste and maximising human potential the way nature intended. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle so we can collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philippaross.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Welcome back to the Waste Not Want Not podcast and the start of season two. I've had a good couple of months off focusing on writing my book and I'm on course to finish by the end of July. So to ensure I achieve my goal, I'm shifting from weekly to monthly episodes for the first half of this year. It's a great opportunity for you to catch up on any one of the 50 fabulous guests I interviewed in the first season. If you followed me from the start, you'll know I launched the podcast on Antarctic Day because of my connection and passion for the continent. So it's apt I'm kicking off this season with the same focus. Chilean ice water swimmer Barbara Hernandez made history earlier this week as the first person to swim two and a half kilometres in Antarctic waters, enduring temperatures of 2.2 Celsius, clad only in her swimsuit, with no protective clothing or grease. Though incredibly tough, Barbara said it had been an ambition to swim in parts of all seven of the world's oceans for a long time, and the 45-minute and 50-second swim in the Antarctic Peninsula region was a way to draw attention to world leaders about the dire need for them to secure protection for the conservation of the ocean and the continent, particularly since Antarctic sea ice is melting three times faster in the past five years. On this day 122 years ago, Scott's returning party arrived back early to Omaru in the South Island of New Zealand, with news that Amundsen had beaten them to the South Pole. A serendipitous date as today's guest, Laura Andrews, shares the inspiring expedition she has just completed on skis, traversing the same route Amundsen took to the South Pole. Laura was one of three people chosen by the Antarctic Heritage Trust to take part in their inspiring explorers expedition to the South Pole to commemorate 150 years since Amundsen was born. The Trust's mission is to conserve, share and encourage the spirit of exploration along with much needed qualities like curiosity and resilience to help youngsters build a leadership legacy for future generations to embody. I've known Laura for 19 years because she went to primary school with my daughter. She's well known in Waipu for her contribution to the community as a firefighter, medical responder and surf lifesaver. She's also no stranger to adventures and endurance challenges, having taken part in Ironman and stair climbs clad in her firefighting gear. This endurance expedition was epic though. 50 days in the harshest of conditions, skiing for a thousand kilometres across Antarctica. But as you'll discover, it's whet her appetite to discover more about herself and the beautiful world we're a part of.
Welcome to the show, Laura. It's an absolute privilege to have you with me and to be my first guest in season two because I started the podcast on Antarctic Day. And so it's only right that I should start talking about Antarctic things. I've known you for 19 years. You're a delightful little cherub at the age of 10 when we first moved from England to New Zealand and who'd have thought all these years later we'd be sitting talking together and you've just been on the most extraordinary exploration of Antarctica and achieved an amazing feat which was a thousand kilometers skiing in 50 days. Now I have to ask you why? I think that is the question that everybody's asking. And I guess in the words of George Mallory, when asked about climbing Everest, because it's there, I think it's it's really innately human to be curious and to want to explore and to push ourselves physically and emotionally and push our boundaries. And that's what the explorers did. And for this trip, it was about keeping that spirit of exploration alive, which was really amazing. Yeah, because the foundation is about inspiring explorers, isn't it, with the Antarctic Heritage Trust. This is their seventh year? This is the eighth Inspired Explorers Expedition. So the Antarctic Heritage Trust is an awesome New Zealand not-for-profit organisation who works to conserve the original first buildings that are still there in Antarctica. Shackleton, Borshevik, Scott and Hillary, they've got these first buildings that were ever built on the continent and that's the only place in the world that's like that and they've conserved them and the artifacts that are in them and the stories of those explorers and as part of that they wanted to think about like how do we keep this alive and how do we get the next generation excited about this conservation and about this history so they started the inspired explorers expeditions which is amazing because they're taking people like me who have very little polar experience or very little polar knowledge and they're giving us these opportunities where you become so emotionally and physically invested in the environment that you're in in the polar regions it's a once in a lifetime opportunity you know like it's more than once a lifetime opportunity it's an absolute dream come true to be able to be one of these kids and it and it ranges it ranges from school kids to young adults and it goes from skiing to the south pole which was our expedition which is probably the biggest one yet but they've climbed mount scott and recreated shackleton's crossing of south georgia They've crossed Greenland, like Friedrich Nansen, and they've done the Mahu Whenua. They've done an incredible job to really kind of invigorate the youth into dreaming and believing about the polar regions. Yeah, I think it's such an important thing because I know with my own connection to Antarctica and it's being at the bottom of the world and everybody gets on with their life and you think, why is it important? And then we have history lessons in school and you think, Well, that's not part of my life now, but as you said, it's reinvigorating that sense of adventure in ourselves, and it's curiosity really, isn't it? How did you come across the expedition and the organisation? I think like being a New Zealander, there's always this curiosity about Antarctica. We, it's a great southern continent, we're one of the closest countries there and we're one of the gateway countries and you hear little tidbits here and there. There's the occasional iceberg that floats away and somebody sells it on Trade Me. Or when the southerly wind blows and you're like, wow, you know, must be coming straight off Antarctica. So there's always this magic about this continent down there. And so for the last couple of years, I've been kind of thinking, you know, like, how can I get down there? Can I work at Scott Base? Can I be a scientist? Can I be a field guide? Like, how can I get there? 
And then I think it was 2017, I saw a couple of people I followed on Instagram, Hollywood House and Brando Yelovich, all of a sudden appeared together and then appeared in this great, vast, white environment in Greenland. And I was like, what's going on here? And kind of dug more into it. And they were inspired explorers on the Friedrich Nansen crossing of Greenland. And I was absolutely hooked. I was like, this is what I want to do. How do I become somebody like these guys? How do I get selected? And over the next couple of years, I pushed and I applied for like the next couple of expeditions with the Antarctic Heritage Trust. But they were things like sea kayaking around the peninsula and doing the Mahu Whenua crossing from Treble Cone to Kadrona. They're incredible expeditions, but the South Pole one really sung to me. Like it was something that was going to be a long endurance expedition, which I've really started getting into. And it was going to be really physical and really remote. And it took you to the heart of Antarctica you know like how incredible is that opportunity I was absolutely hooked to follow in the footsteps of a Munsden I really idolized Shackleton and his leadership style and his story and this was what he was aiming to do initially and it didn't quite work out so this whole expedition just sung to me and I was like I need to be on this expedition awesome fantastic so Fortunately, the other life that you lead is as a firewoman. Is that the correct terminology to use? I think we use gender neutral. We go for firefighter these days. Okay, you know, cool. right. <laughs> so you've been doing that for a while because you started off volunteering in Waipu, didn't you? Yeah, so I was 16 years old when I joined as a volunteer in Waipu. The day I turned 16, I was off to Rotorua to do my training. Waipu is a great community and I wanted to give back to this community that had given me so much. And I loved the idea of being able to respond and learn and help. So that was great. I never saw it as a career, but I went to university and that wasn't for me. So I dropped out, had a bit of a quarter life crisis, I call it. I went traveling and uh, one of the guys I knew through volunteering worked at the airport as a firefighter. And he said, you should come apply here. You'd be great. We do fire, we do medical, we do marine rescue. And so that like tied together all these things I loved about firefighting and surf lifesaving and all these things that I really enjoyed and working in a community and nearly eight years and I haven't looked back you know it's been just an amazing amazing career I really enjoy it so really you've already done the training so far as the physical because it's quite a um, heavy training isn't it the, the physical side of things so you had that on your side I guess you had then do a lot more training to do a thousand kilometers of skiing across Antarctica so it's not just the actual physicality but it's the environment that you had to endure as well. Yeah it's, most people who do something like this an expedition of this sense spend some time training. Yep. Uh, they will go to Norway or Greenland and they'll do kind of a smaller expedition first and they need to do that to get the skills to be able to survive in Antarctica. We were on a really short time frame. So like this expedition had been pushed a little while due to COVID and different things. And so when we were selected, we had a three month lead in before we ended up down to the ice. And most oh people have gosh. a year. Wow. Which, which is a really small lead in. So like we were selected because we were already physically fit. Mike's an awesome athlete. Marta's like ex-military, really strong, really great skier. And I train at work, like my job is physical. So we had the capacity to be strong. We had some crash courses and polar learning down in Antarctica. We did a crevasse rescue course at the skate park in Punta Arenas. You know, that was the best we could get with crevasses, I guess, uh, simulation. And then once we were on the ice, 
it was our first week was like right this is how you put the tent up this is how we could do the stove this is how you ski more effectively and so the first week or two was just like learning 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 in a crash course but within two weeks it felt like life like this this is our life now and it was really normal and by the end it was incredible to see how far we'd come in the way that we like set up our tents and set up camp and our navigation was so much more on point it was amazing to see that like we learned so much just amazes me with them our predecessors they didn't have the same technology that we do or the communication it's just incredible that's what I think about my own ancestors they had the bare minimum and they used nature to navigate and when you're there it's a white landscape isn't it there's not exactly too many markers between point a and b to recognize that you've got to where you're going you could easily go off course ah i am so humbled by the acts of those first explorers after being down there and experiencing it you know like we, we have got so much more advances in technology now and that makes it so much easier for us that's a credit to the journey that they've done there down there you know like their exploring led to like the creativity the curiosity and the innovation that led to the technologies that we're using now yeah which is amazing and so you know for them going into the unknown like that's such a rare thing for us to yeah. see now and that's almost impossible to recreate until we get to that next evolution of exploration which is absolutely yeah. space yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. so the characteristics that they have is still really important to maintain. But saying that there was aspects of our journey where you kind of felt like those previous explorers, like, yes, we had GPS and we had satellite imagery to figure out where the big crevasse fields or things like that were. But because it's so cold, our GPS, you couldn't leave it on all the time. So you'd turn it on at the beginning of the day, get a bearing. And then the way that we navigated throughout the day was with our little magnetic compass, like they would have used. And then using the sun and the wind and the direction on the Sustrugi as we skied across it to navigate. So, you know, oh. like you'd be using the angle of the sun and your shagado to be like, okay, I'm going to be on this for an hour. And then the sun will move 15 degrees. So my shadow will move 15 degrees. And then when the sun goes behind a cloud, then you have to use the wind. And then when the wind stops, you have to look down at your skis. It took a lot to get used to. But once we got there, you just felt so in tune with your environment. And then to end up at the South Pole, like, like you're right, there's no visual cues around you. And you're just looking around, and you're like, we just skied for 50 days and we ended up where we wanted to be. Like, it's just unreal. I, I had a real meltdown almost because I was like, I can't believe we did it. Like, I can't believe this works. It was just so incredible. Oh, yeah. that's phenomenal. There was three of you all together, but did you have any extra crew with you? So there was actually five of us all together. There was three inspired explorers, which was myself, Marta Brandefer from Norway, yeah. and Mike Dawson, who's a Kiwi uh, two-time Olympian. But he was there filming as well as doing the experience. So he's creating a mini documentary on this. Wow. Um, Marta was capturing photos and I was just there for some enthusiasm, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of our team was Nigel Watson, who's the executive director of the Antarctic Heritage Trust and probably one of the gurus on polar history. He's amazing. He's been there. He's done that. He's so connected and he's so passionate about this project it's kind of been his baby I think for the last 23 years so to be there with him was an absolute privilege and then the last person on our team was Bengt Rotmer who's a Norwegian polar guide 
and man, I just felt like we had the dream team. Bengt is an absolute legend in himself, the humblest guy, but so capable and really made sure that we learned rather than just being guided across. It was a Ooh. big job for him taking these novices out there. But he didn't just keep us safe. He inspired us with the way that he's so passionate about modern exploration. So he knows all the explorers that are going out there aiming for speed records, aiming for like to get the last great first of like first to reach the South Pole by kiting or first to do this or first to do that. He's so passionate about that. So we had the, the old history with Nigel, we had the new history with Bent and then us three are creating the next step in history, you know? So it was like this great succession. It felt so amazing. It felt really, really incredible. It's really hard to explain because I went there in 2016, slightly more luxurious than what you had to endure, but there's something about the continent. It really touches you. I can remember lying and playing angels with this little baby penguin chick alongside me doing the same thing. And it was just tear jerky. And it was... The heart is there. You cannot explain how vulnerable you are, but how connected you are and how trusted you are, and you just kind of let go. It's a completely different feeling, and it took me best part of ooh, nearly three months to recalibrate to getting back over here as well, and you've been back a month. It must be really hard for you because you've been thrown into all the floods and things yeah. that are happening in Auckland and Northland. <laughs> It's certainly an adjustment and the first day we got back from the South Pole to Union Glacier, which was kind of like the Antarctic Logistics Base Camp, it felt like being hit in the face uh, with a baseball bat, with the noise. I, it was it was a physical sensation and it was absolutely shocking. And then like slowly immersing yourself back into real life and like the small gratitudes you have, the little thing, well, I say small gratitudes. I feel overwhelmingly grateful. You open the tap and there's flowing water and or the coffee machine goes and you've got coffee instantly and just all these things, you kind of look around you and there's everywhere you look is touched by men. But down there, it was just us in the world. So pure and so wild and to spend so long out there like that. And out of our 50 days, we saw one thing that was man-made. And that was halfway at the fuel depot for the planes to get to the South Pole. And that's it. Other than that, it was just pure white ice. And at the same time, you felt like the smallest thing in the world. But like you say, you felt so connected and you just became the rawest version of yourself. I was like you, like Super Terry. We had the first day that it snowed and I cried on my knees because it was the most perfect snowflakes I've ever seen in my life. They were just like perfect crystalline structures and all individually unique. And it was so cold that they didn't stick to each other. They just stacked up. And you can try and explain it to people, but unless you were there, you can't see the sun reflecting off them or the way that they, they're all around you. And it was just a truly, truly remarkable experience. The lack experience. of distractions, isn't it, around you? I mean, to actually notice the single snowflakes and how they stacked up and the the makeup of them we are so busy in our everyday lives we kind of dismiss it and like you say we take so much for granted and it really does something to you to actually feel that and appreciate it and as you say it's very raw and wild there and actually connects you to yourself and that is also a phenomenal thing what have you found yourself 
uh, mentally, physically, emotionally that has shifted you? It's only a month back, so I I feel like I'm still processing that. You know, while I was down there, I had this almost like felt like an enlightenment of like my life was more vivid. My memories were incredibly realistic. My presence was so present and then my dreams were just so much bigger. But I think it's because I we had so much time to think and yep. to be in yourself. Initially, you're thinking, 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 and then you just become kind of present and becomes like a meditative state, I guess. Yeah. And you're just repeating that day after day after day. And when will you ever get 50 days to do that in the real life? You know, like mm-hmm. people go for a 10-day Pasana silence retreat or something like that. Yep. And that's a, a taste of yep. probably what we experienced. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what it, what I've learned about myself in that sense. I just really relish that silence and that clarity that I found yeah. and trying to capture that when I come home and make sure that I'm not just boom, 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 like um, bouncing around like a ping pong ball. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Still space to be worked on. That's one of the things people are so busy with their time. And in my line of work, it's really encouraging people to take 10, 15 minutes at any point in the day to recalibrate. And the more you can snatch and find your own space. And that is why we're so highly stressed and, and strung up about things, because as you see, we, we notice the difference visually and auditorily the impact that it has on us. And most of it is subconscious anyway that we don't recognize. And it's only when you go to the extreme that you do and it makes you appreciate more. So that time to yourself is so, so important and it makes a difference to every individual. But we think it's wasted time because we're not doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't know, I... I'm a really active person and yeah. for me that meditative moment comes or that, that space comes when I'm moving so it's kind of like Japanese forest bathing or things like that like for me I find the joy that I got out of this expedition was the simplicity of life it was an expedition a life is a simplest form you're staying alive you've got the simple purpose of like reach the south pole and look after your team it's basic but it's complete but it's also constant movement, you know, like I sometimes we're looking for stillness and things. And this is what I found last year. I, I really kind of delved into finding comfort in stillness. And what I realized while I was away is that actually I find comfort in movement and purpose. Not everybody is the same in that, but learning that about myself and accepting that, you know what, you, you don't have to fit into this general normal mold of like boom, boom, boom. I can keep pushing, keep striving. And there's always been people like that. You look at the heroic explorers of the past, like they're not the ones that are going to stay at home, but it's important to have the ones that are stay at home to enable the explorers to explore. I think one of the, the innovations you bring up there is people's perception of uh, meditation time to yourself is actually, you know, Zen sitting in a space and meditating and deliberately clearing your mind where it can be, that walk in nature. I think the one of the important things is reconnecting with nature and walking. And as you say, it's moving the stimulus, but it is the environment that affects you. And that's part of the work that I do is, you know, how our external environment actually impacts our internal environment and actually shifts the way everything happens for us in life. So that's a really valid point. Yeah. 
and for people to recognize that you don't have to sit still on a cushion with your fingers touching and zen out. Um, it can be walking wherever you want to be, whatever actually environment stimulates you. That's the thing, I think, being outside and being in the environment allows you to connect to the world and realize that we're all part of this greater thing. That's a really powerful thing because I think it creates better people, you know, like when you realize that we're not an individual unit and you realize that you're connected to something bigger and we've all got this great impact, then that's a really powerful thing to, to be able to embrace. Mm. So do you know where to from now or are you just taking your time to recalibrate? It's taken me a little bit longer to recalibrate than I expected. Um, things are pretty hectic in New Zealand at the moment, all the flooding and work and actually my body needs a little bit more rest than I thought it needed. I just wanted to come back and go full send into everything, but taking some time to rest and recalibrate and reflect on everything we've done. And then it's going to go full send. I've got some big dreams, you know, I've been to one pole. I would really love to reach the North Pole and take what the Antarctic Heritage Trust has given me and continue that on. Like I'd love to continue the legacy and introduce somebody else to the polar region. But to do that, I'd have to learn some more in-depth polar skills, which is a great thing, you know, like to have the inspiration to learn more and to push more. I'm a girl from a beach town. (laughs) We don't have any ice in North and we're from the (laughs) subtropics. But just to be an ordinary girl from this small town in Northland and to have been able to reach the South Pole, to be able to continue on that journey would be really amazing. What an amazing feat. My ancestor, he discovered the North Magnetic Pole in 1831 and he spent six winters at the North Pole and three of those were consecutive because he got stuck in the ice. And that was the year that he actually found the North Pole. He's such an unsung hero in my eyes. I mean, I'm obviously slightly (laughs) emotionally connected, but all his crew survived for three consecutive years. He made connections with the Inuit and he learned the way to work with nature. It was just phenomenal. That's really incredible. Part of the North Pole journey, especially being in Antarctica, it's this giant like kind of thermometer for the world. It keeps control on. Antarctica is a bit bigger and it's got the continent underneath it, but the North Pole is just sea ice. And learning about how climate change and things like that, the sea ice is disappearing. It's getting harder and harder to be able to reach the North Pole. So if we don't do it now, I'm going to be swimming there. <laughs> That's not really what I want to be doing. It creates a, a, a better awareness and a better understanding of what's going on here. And you look at the stories of, like, say, um, James Clark Ross or Amundsen, and the stories that they have in this place, it's the same, but it's different. You can see in that century that's gone by the changes that are happening in these environments. There's a part to play for us in that. You know, like it's such an important part of our world. To be able to see it and to be able to understand that is really incredible. We were lucky in Antarctica. We actually met some... British scientists who were working on some climate change research on the Skyfall Glacier off the side of Union Glacier, which was really amazing hearing their stories. And then while we were there, there was a a documentary being made about Scott's journey. And there was just this real incredible range of people who were climbing Mount Vincent or skiing to the South Pole and just seeing the different workings and the different going-ups on in Antarctica and to think back 100 years and it was just Scott and Amundsen is now becoming a little bit more accessible, a little bit more viable, and we're getting our teeth into it a little bit more, which is really amazing. That's really cool. Have you come across Lewis Pugh? He's 
the UN patron of the no. Earth? No. No? Oh, my goodness, you must do, because he has swum in both Arctic and Antarctic, and his whole premise is about how the climate has shifted, and over the years that he's been doing it, the difficulties that he has endured, and actually getting your body used to the temperature is one thing, and it's gone up 10 degrees in the Arctic. It's absolutely phenomenal. And he's all about, obviously, ocean conservation. And he was a part of getting the marine protected area for the Ross Sea as well. And he swam in the Ross Sea in the year preceding. And he does it in his speedos. So, again, it's that mindset. Yeah, that's one thing that I've learned on this trip is that there is just so many incredible people out there currently doing incredible things. Yeah. And I, I definitely think social media has played a part in that and, and the fact that we can hear these stories a little bit more, yeah. like social media, podcasts, internet, like these kind of things. Whereas back in the day, you really had to hold on to those stories of those few explorers and that was what inspired you. Whereas now we've got inspiration coming from every angle. Which and is that's just... the purpose of my doing this podcast was because there's so much bad news. That's why I started it. and I wanted to create the shift that, Everyday people are doing extraordinary things and it could be the spark of something that you say could spark something in somebody else to recognize something within themselves that gives them the impetus to do something else and explore outside the box that they seem to be contained in. And that is what is so, so crucial. So you don't have to go to the extremes of skiing across Antarctica, but just do something different and follow that intuition inside, hey? I agree 100%. I don't think everybody should go ski across Antarctica. I think it's not the greatest for the continent and not the greatest for everybody. Uh, Part of the joy was the isolation. But I think what people can get out of this is that if you just push yourself a little bit, like find something that makes you curious and maybe scares you a little bit and give it a go. Just show up, just turning up the first thing or putting your hand up or putting yourself out there a little bit, just a little bit is enough to tip you over the edge and expand your horizons and expand your possibilities and expand your capacity for life. You don't know what's out there until you try. You can, we've got a small small amount of time here. So, you know, you may as well be brave. It's horses for courses. You know, you're an outdoor, very active young woman and it's all to do with ages and stages and our different personalities. Like for me, the challenge was wanting to make a difference. What can I do? And In a year, I've met 50 different people all doing amazing things right across the world. And that has inspired other people. But it's really invigorated me to feel that I've created some change, but I've made these connections. And the learning from all these people is just phenomenal where it takes you. So has that been a book or a person influenced you in your life? Oh, I, I'm constantly reading. So there's many books that have inspired me and quite often they inspire my adventures. I'm like, oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. But when I left school, I read Born to Run by Christopher McDougall, which is just, a, it's kind of an insight into the barefoot running movement, which I don't, don't do. <laughs> um, but, and it talks about the, the Tarahumara people, the natives, some natives in Mexico who are just natural runners. And this book just, ignited the spark in me as to why don't I try you know like I don't have to be fast I don't have to be great but if I just go out 
outside and do one step, maybe that's a little bit, you know, like I could try this and like the capacity of human potential, I could run for a hundred kilometers if I wanted to, like if I was determined enough, yeah, yeah, not that I have yet, <laughs> but you know, like it, it just ignited the spark and like, wow, humans are pretty amazing. And we've got this vessel, this body that we've got. If we look after it, I wonder what I could do. Mm. You know, like I wonder where I could go. I wonder how I could like the myself. four minute so. mile. Once somebody's done it, it makes other people realize that it is feasible. But until somebody does it, everybody is limited by preconceptions of what is possible. So we have to push those boundaries ourselves. And it doesn't mm. matter whether, I mean, I had a, a, a lady who was very introverted, but she was into eco stuff and started making things. And then she started doing classes for schools at primary school. And now it's not skiing across Antarctica, but she's made a huge impact for herself and her community and the other lives. It doesn't have to be big or world changing. It has to, first of all, fill you up and do something that's important to you that has a knock on effect. If you fill yourself up, that can overflow. Absolutely. Yeah, just Sorry, like that up. Yeah. Do you have a quote that keeps you going or that's inspired you or have they changed over the years? They've changed over the years. I've got one favorite quote, which I've got written down here. And then I've got one that I read while I was in Antarctica. So I'll give you both of them. Cool. But my favorite quote that I've always held on to is I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not let that impact what I can do. Wow. Who wrote that? Edward Everett Hall. Um, he's like an American writer, but it's it's just a quote that's really resonated with me. I just like the fact that, you know, like just because things look bad or things look hard or it feels like the world's buggered, we can still make an impact. Yeah. One little impact can make a difference. And I'm not going to let the reasons why things won't work stop me from doing something that I think I can. Wow. You know? I hold wow. on to that one. That one's really good. The other one was I read a book while I was in Antarctica in the small amounts of moments that I had downtime, <laughs> uh, which, which wasn't much, by Henry Kotze, who was a South African kayaker and adventurer. It was really cool, actually, because he knew Mike. They were friends. And to be able to talk to Mike about him and get this insight into Henry's life was incredible. But his book is called Living the Best Day Ever. And this is, I, I had the best day ever more times than I can remember. Mm. I look back on my life and it's in these moments that I've truly lived. My memories seem bigger, more real. The good times, the friends, the hard times, the lows, the awe and wonder I've felt. I know I'm here by choice and I'm glad I am here. I can be nowhere else. The concept of living the best day ever over and over, isn't that phenomenal? Like, isn't that the aim? Is just to like, I'm having the best day ever. And every day I'd wake up in Antarctica and be like, it's a hard day today, but this is the best day ever. I'm in Antarctica. This is the best day ever. I've got this incredible team around me. This is the best day ever. We're walking in the footsteps of legends. This is the best day ever. And I really embrace that. I think that's such a beautiful way to look at your life. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I ended um, season one talking to Helen Callanan, who is a death doula. And it was quite interesting. We don't talk about it. It's taboo. And a lot in my line of work, people get to the end of their life full of regrets she's at one end of life and I'm trying to help people fulfill their life and the great thing is here you are reigniting that spark of curiosity and to embrace each day as the best day of your life is just phenomenal and 
it doesn't have to be as you say forget those obstacles finding that gratitude in the small things in life is really important and don't take on the world's problems and I think it's so interesting what you're talking about death I've worked in emergency services for a long time oh, yes. and surf life-saving things from a young age. And so I've seen death and injuries from a young age, I guess. Yeah. So I've always had this concept of life is precious. Yeah. So, so don't wait to do the things you want to do. So I've always been, yes, like let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's go to Antarctica. Let's walk the length of New Zealand. Let's bike the length of New Zealand. Let's do these dreams that I want to do now. And I think more people should embrace that because if you wait till you're retiring or wait till one day I'm rich enough or one day I'll be had yep. this or when this has happened, life just passes you by. You know? You've got to embrace it while you can. So what do you do when you're in a funk and feeling low? How do you lift yourself out of it? It's still a work in progress, I think, uh, especially like my life is a roller coaster. I've got these highest highs <laughs> and then after that you, you can crash pretty far. Yep. But I've really learned to step back and just be really grateful you know I'm grateful for the experiences I've had but then understanding and embracing that the lows that I have after those is just a period of recovery your body fluctuates up and down embrace it hold on to it for a little while and then start again find a goal find a purpose and find something that gives you a reason to climb back out of that slump but it's also an important period like the seasons and this is one of the things I talk about environment the seasons change for a reason and we need to take time to rest and each of us are vibrating on a different energy and everybody does it at a different time and has different needs so it's the constant doing that actually burns people out and makes them feel bad all the time which stops them from living life to the full. That's a lesson that I'm still learning. (laughs) Yeah, but we all do, I think, right until the end. But it's keeping it front of mind that's so important. We all make fuck-ups and faux pas and things, but it's to laugh about them, take the lessons from them. I mean, I've got a wardrobe full of T-shirts of all different colours and shades and things that I've done, but I've learned to embrace them as part of who I am and... I'm grateful for them and hopefully can help others over those obstacles because I've gone through it myself. That's the important thing. So if I was your fairy godmother and I could grant you one wish in the world, what would it be and why? I think it would go back to what I was talking about before. I wish that everybody would treat tomorrow like today. Do your dreams now, chase them now, think about the future today. Tomorrow's problems are today's problems. Tomorrow's dreams are today's dreams. And if we stop trying to think like one day I'll do this or one day I'll do that, I think the world would be a better place because people would be happier, people would be more fulfilled, um, would be addressing the issues that we have as we're going. Live for today, but make tomorrow today as well. Awesome. I find it always fascinating, you know, with these last four questions, how it relates to what we're doing and how these things influence is a part of who we are and why we do what we do. Everything that you've said is captured in those last four questions and ultimately about living today. So have you got any final words of wisdom you'd like to share with my guest today? I think just be be grateful for where you are and what you're doing. You know, like I've had these incredible opportunities and I'm so grateful for them. 
they've all just kind of set me on a path. I didn't realize 19 years ago when I met you that I'd be here on this podcast. Or, you know, <laughs> everything you do kind of snowballs and leads you ahead. I look at my PE teacher at high school and like the things that we did and at the time I was like, oh, this is pointless. Now I'm embracing those as I'm a 28-year-old woman skiing across <laughs> Antarctica. You just never know what's going to trigger and give you this incredible opportunities in your life. You look Again, it's with amazing. that in mind. We might not know how to do something, but that first step is really important because it's always constantly shifting and changing. So don't buy into the inertia that because you can't find a solution to something means that you can't do it. Just take that first step. And the other thing that struck me there was... It's pretty scary as well. Absolutely. And you said right at the beginning about the scary side of things. Yeah, It is. But the more you do, I think... We imagine it worse than it is. And what I try to get people to do is to, when you go through something, was it as bad as you initially thought it was going to be? And then you need to take that positive feeling and basically file it for the next time some other fear comes up and wrecks it. Okay, so my imagination can go wild. It could also open so many doors. And so it's looking to the horizon. You're talking about the fear actually because I had three main fears in Antarctica, which was crevasses, frostbite, and being the weakest link. And I experienced all of those. Wow, <laughs> and, really? and and in hindsight, looking at them, I'm like, it's okay. You can just fall into that fear and realize that, like you say, they're not as scary as you think they are. You can put lots of controls in place, lots of measures in place. And when you surround yourself with good people, you can conquer almost anything. And I think we're all the weakest link at some stage in our life as well. And that's the team spirit yeah. where somebody picks up and it is so important to have those people that have strengths where we are not as strong ourselves. I don't like to think of them as necessary as weakest link. It's just not our strength. And that's where a whole team comes in because everybody has their strength that pulls it all together to work as one. Brilliant stuff. Gosh, I could absolutely hours. I know, I know. I've got so much more that I could say. But I think we've covered off some really good things. And, you know, I hope you guys have got some value out of what we've got to say. Oh, absolutely. What about the comparisonitis? Some people say, well, she did that and I couldn't, so I'm insignificant. That's exactly how I felt. And I think that's the biggest thing is that we all do that. And I was with a, what I believe to be a superstar team, you know, when you've got somebody like Mike Dawson with all his accolades. and. It was actually something that he taught me is he made all of us feel like Olympians or even like our smallest achievements. Rather than comparing yourself and breaking yourself down, compare yourself and bring yourself up and celebrate all your wins when they're big or you're small. And if you're in a culture that does that, then everybody feels better and the whole team rises and we rise together. And I think that was such a powerful thing because I – I question, you know, like why was I selected? I met some other people who applied and they're incredible people. But to realize the strengths that I have to bring, we've all got something to offer. Mm. We've all got something to offer. And so celebrate that for a moment and celebrate the people around you and the things that they're doing and that and say it everybody well. together. Um because oh, one of my yeah. One of my favorite things to ask somebody is, What's your favorite thing about me? <laughs> and then you hear it because so often in your life People say nice things about you, not to you. And sometimes it's good to have that in your bank to be like, ah, oh, somebody sees this in me and I don't see that in myself. But if they can see it, then I can believe it, which yeah, is absolutely. amazing. Again, we take it for granted. What we do comes to us naturally, our strengths. 
is nothing, but it's so much to somebody else. They see you from a different angle. Yeah. And that's that's a really beautiful thing to see. Build somebody up like they're your best friend. Tell them all the good things that they do and appreciate the things. Like, hey, I really appreciate how you've done this. And it'll make their day. You'll see it. It'll smile. Yeah. Like, hey, I really appreciate how you let me in line. Or I really appreciate how you made me coffee this morning. And they're like, oh, cool. They lift up. Then you lift up. And it's just like the cycle of us all getting happier. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. I'm truly inspired by what you've done. And I'm sure you've touched many hearts of people. Please keep in touch with all your expeditions and things. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Laura. It's been phenomenal. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You take care. Cheers. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Uh what a refreshing young woman Laura is, a true reflection of the fact that once you discover and do something that lights you up, it opens your mind to other opportunities. She's an inspirational leader for future generations to realise we're all capable of so much more than we're led to believe is possible. I encourage you to seize Laura's challenge to do something outside of your comfort zone and invite the infinite opportunities that lie beyond what you can currently conceive is feasible by taking that small brave step toward doing what you'd like to try and creating the change you want to see. Laura will no doubt be pushing herself outside the new comfort zone she's developed to take up other exciting challenges in the future. Remember her advice though, to honour your accomplishments and those of the people around you. No act of kindness is ever wasted. I have some spectacular guests lined up for the next few months, each one offering wisdom gained from their own experiences to help you tune in and explore the depth of your inner world so you can embody the intricate connection we all have to the world around us. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. All feedback and reviews are much appreciated, as are your ideas for a subject or guest you'd like me to consider. Just email me on info at So, until next month, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart, be the change you want to see in the world, Take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.